Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans, heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country, heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. Major Turnbull sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber. The complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye, he needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. He moves around his home more easily now. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel to Towers in supporting America's heroes, our nation's catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed members of Congress this morning, making an appeal for more sanctions against the Russian government. Lawmakers gave Zelensky a standing ovation both before and after the address. But the question remains, are his demands realistic and are they in America's best interests? Take a look at that and what the Ukrainian president had to say specifically in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. It was quite an address this morning to the United States Congress from the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, wearing the gray fatigues uh, T-shirt that he has become known for in a lot of social media posting and public communications because he is a man, as is his country, under siege right now. The Russians are closing in on Kyiv, the capital city of Ukraine, among other cities, hitting it with airstrikes, artillery, rocket, and other munitions. And right now, they're desperate for as much outside assistance and help as they can possibly get against the Russian military juggernaut. Now, there are some areas that Zelensky is likely, very likely, to get exactly what he wants, which is addition, uh, additionally to what he's already gotten in areas like 
economic, what Russia is calling economic warfare against the Kremlin. Here is Zelensky, for example, asking specifically for more U.S. sanctions against Russia. I call on you to do more. New packages of sanctions are needed constantly, every week, until the Russian military machine stops. Restrictions are needed for everyone on whom this unjust regime is based. We propose that the United States sanctions all politicians in the Russian Federation who remain in their offices and do not uh, uh, cut ties with those who are responsible for the aggression against Ukraine, from uh, state Duma's members to the last official who has lack of morale to break the state terror. All Americans company must leave Russia from their market, leave their market immediately because it is flooded with our blood. All American companies, he says, must leave the Russian market immediately. Now, there have been a number of companies that have said they will stop doing business in and have already pulled out from their uh, financial relationships with the Russian Federation, and that could well continue in the days ahead. The Biden administration has certainly been escalating the economic actions taken against Russia including sanctioning of different industries, uh, going after the SWIFT, Russia via the SWIFT banking system. Um, Are they able to really stop the flow of oil, though, which is necessary for Putin's war machine to be funded in the first place? That remains an open question. But on the economic sanctions front, Zelensky is likely to get more of that. And so, in a sense, that part of the speech today will be met with uh, his I should say request, not demand, will be met positively. This is where things get much more complicated, though. The request for a no-fly zone over Ukraine. Again, here is what the president of Ukraine said this morning to the United States Congress. This is a terror that Europe has not seen, has not seen for 80 years, and we are asking for a reply, for an answer uh, to this uh, terror from the whole world. Is this a lot to ask for, to create a no-fly zone zone over Ukraine to save people? Is this too much to ask? Humanitarian no-fly zone, something that Ukraine, uh, that Russia would not be able to terrorize our free cities. A humanitarian no-fly zone was said there. There have been different discussions about what exactly a no-fly zone would entail, but here's the basics of it to stop Russian planes from flying in Ukrainian airspace on strike missions and providing close air support. And this would also apply to Russian uh, attack helicopters as well, which have been used uh, frequently in assaults on Ukrainian forces. To do that, you would have to have U.S. air assets deployed that would shoot down those Russian planes, shoot down Russian fixed-wing, rotary-wing aircraft. That would be an act of war. There's no question about it. So how is it that we would not find ourselves in the midst of a declaration of war from Russia? Unless Vladimir Putin, who's just mobilized a couple hundred thousand troops to invade a neighboring country, all of a sudden decides that his own planes being shot out of the sky by a third-party belligerent isn't an act of war, we would be in a war with Russia. So that is the reality of a no-fly zone, as it is seen not just on Uh, by many, I should say. Not everyone on the right. Some people want a no-fly zone among the Republicans in elected office. Very few. 
Um, and there are some Democrats, but there is a mostly a bipartisan consensus now that that would be too far. Um, Zelensky did invoke uh, uh, 9-11 as well as Pearl Harbor, other moments in history, and said that Ukraine is going through its own version of this day in and day out, and also said that Ukrainian people are fighting for all of Europe right now. Watch. Today, the Ukrainian people are defending not only Ukraine. We are fighting for the values of Europe and the world, sacrificing our lives in the name of the future. That's why today the American people are helping not just Ukraine, but Europe and the world to keep the planet alive, to keep justice in history. So this is, in a sense, uh, the Ukrainian president offers up a struggle for justice on a global scale. And therefore, the entire world should be involved. Now, there are many of us still here in America who say, hold on a moment, we should give material and support to the Ukrainians to fight for their own independence and sovereignty from this Russian aggression. This is not America's war. This is not an American fight. And America should not be drawn into this. So far, the Biden administration has largely stuck by that thinking. And to that end, they should be commended. But here was Biden's reaction later today after that speech about what Zelensky said. Watch. He speaks for a people who have shown remarkable courage and strength in the face of brutal aggression. Courage and strength that's inspired not only the Ukrainians, but the entire world. Putin is inflicting appalling, appalling devastation and horror on Ukraine, bombing apartment buildings, maternity wards, hospitals. I mean, it's, it's got awful. I was speaking about this with the, our, 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 our commander behind me here, General Milley. I mean, it just is amazing. A war of aggression with appalling destruction. Now, this is the reality of what's going on in Ukraine. The whole world is watching and is taking economic action and providing material, including Biden here announcing an $800 million package for weapons specifically for the Ukrainian military. Watch. This new package on its own is going to provide unprecedented assistance to Ukraine. It includes 800 anti-aircraft systems to make sure the Ukrainian military can continue, to, can continue to stop the planes and helicopters that have been attacking their people and to defend their Ukrainian airspace. And at the request of President Zelensky, we have identified and are helping Ukraine acquire additional longer-range anti-aircraft systems and the munitions for those systems. Our new assistance package also includes 9,000 anti-armor systems. These are portable, high-accuracy shoulder-mounted missiles that Ukrainian forces have been using with great effect to destroy invading tanks and armored vehicles. All right, we'll have analysis of the situation on the ground in Ukraine with senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, Bill Roggio. Let's talk about protecting your home. Hackers capitalize on uncertainty and Russia's invasions, the type of chaos that can put global markets into a turmoil and can also get people distracted from risks online, right? You can expect scams like robocalls, texts for fake donations, things like that coming these days, emails with unfamiliar attachments. You've seen these scams, but there's a bigger one that's hard to detect, even harder to stop. It could cost you your home. It's called home title fraud. It happens when a hacker finds a title to your home online, then he forges your signature and removes you from your home's, home's title. He can even take out loans and leave you in debt. 
Home title fraud can be devastating. You often don't find out about it till it's too late. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today to check on your home's title. Enter your address. See if you're already a victim. You may not even know it yet. Just go to HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Bill Roggio joins us when we come back. There's a battle going on right now that may be the most important fight our country's had since the Revolutionary War. Once again, it's about our freedom. People like you and me are being canceled. Our speech increasingly censored by big tech and corporate media. Can't let that happen. Time to fight back. Please stand with us and support The First TV. Be a part of our team dedicated to preserving the very essence of who we are, free Americans. The Russian invasion of Ukraine continues to grind on. Russian forces have stepped up their bombardment of major cities, including Ukraine's capital city of Kyiv. Kyiv Mayor Vitaly Klitschko was asked about the ongoing campaign earlier today. Here's what he had to say. Putin says he's only targeting military targets. Boom. Sorry. Where is military target? This building is military target. Meanwhile, President uh, Vladimir Putin of Russia is certainly putting his own propaganda at work. During a meeting with his ministers today, Putin said, quote, the operation is developing successfully in strict accordance with pre-approved plans. Really? Joining me now to give his analysis on what's actually happening over in Ukraine is a senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, Bill Roggio. Bill, thanks for being here. Always a pleasure, Buck. Thanks for having me. So just tell us, man, what's the latest here? I mean, is is Russia uh, gaining vis-a-vis the Ukrainian resistance? Are the Ukrainians pushing them back? What's happening? Yeah, you know, look, there's a propaganda war being waged on both sides. The Russians want to tell you everything is well. The Ukrainians want to tell you that everything is going well on their side. They're putting up a stiff defense. The truth is somewhere in between. And the Russians continue to grind on. They're, they're slowly working to envelop a large part of the East. Um, it's certainly it's halting at times. The Ukrainians are putting up stiff resistance, but we're 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 seeing the slow takeover of large regions of central and western, or I'm sorry, eastern Ukraine. It's this is an operation that, in my estimation, was always going to take weeks, if not months, to develop. Uh, Ukraine is a large country. Russia's military isn't the United States military, so it's going to have its logistical problems and, and tactical issues. And yet they continue to drive forward. If you, it's the Ukrainians, again, the Ukrainians, though, they would have you believe that, that everything is going well, but they're, they're telling you that, you know, then we're watching images of their cities being shelled. And you don't get to shell cities by, um, because you're losing. That, you know, the Russians are, able to move up to these cities and are attacking them. That's because they're gaining ground. So you saw, I'm sure, the Zelensky speech this morning, which he called for first the no-fly zone, which as of now is not going to happen. Um, that could change. But right now, there seems to be a pretty clear opinion on both sides of the aisle in this country and even in Europe as well, that there is not going to be a no-fly zone. But there was a request for additional weaponry munitions. Specifically, I think he mentioned uh, some of the surface-to-air missiles. I mean, is there, are, are there missile systems that could be given to the Ukrainians that would dramatically uh, neutralize the Russian air superiority? Or, I mean, how does that factor in with how much of this is missile fire versus coming from planes? I mean, what, what would really change and what could we change? The... 
missile systems themselves, uh, I don't think it's a game changer. It could it could halt the Russians in certain areas. It can um, it can hurt them. But I I think the Russians uh, ultimately have the initiative here. <coughs> Excuse me. The other issue is is that the um, the Ukrainians have to be able to deploy these systems. They have to man them. Are they trained for these missile systems? Do they have the personnel to do them? They have to be able to resupply them. The Russians will be hunting them. Um, these are systems that are, aren't easy to hide. So uh, you know, so that is certainly an issue. I think any aid that comes in from the West in general will hurt the Russians, but I don't ultimately think that it's going to stop this advance unless it hurts them so bad that the Russians, you know, the the Russian army collapses. And I, you know, I don't see that happening at least not at this stage. It hasn't happened three weeks in. Um, I suspect it, it it's not going to happen anytime soon. What do you make of Putin's? comments earlier today when he says this is all going according to plan. I mean, I think it's fair. No, no war plan survives first contact with the enemy, right? So it's not going entirely according to plan. But what was your reaction to this? I mean, is he a desperate man who's trying to hold this whole operation together? Or does he feel like victory will be his? It's just a matter of when. I, I think the latter. I, I think he's trying to put the best face on it. Look, in any war uh, of this nature, both sides are going to push their narrative. They're going to say they're the ones winning. I think Putin, um, I, I don't see evidence that he's cracking. He's not, you know, pushing the, there's negotiations going on and he's not ceding a single point. So the, where, whereas um, President Zelensky of Ukraine basically conceded a point, you know, that Ukraine won't join NATO. I think, you know, these are the indicators to me of which side is, is winning this war and which side is losing. Yesterday, the Ukrainian government uh, stated that a Russian major general was killed in action. If that's correct, it would be four generals killed in Russian generals killed in 20 days, which is uh, a lot of senior officers for a conflict that's only been a few weeks underway. Um, I'm wondering what you think about the Russian casualty figures. I mean, we've been talking in the West, I mean, there's been a lot of reporting about how when the Russian people find out the full scale of Russian casualties, they'll be appalled. There was a big headline in the Daily Mail about this, that it'll shock the Russian people. Do we have any real sense? I mean, is it, have the Russians lost, let's assume that this is true about four generals, uh, have they lost 5,000 or so uh, soldiers in this? Is, does that sound accurate to you? Or what do we know about the figures? The figures that are given out by the U.S. Department of Defense are, are estimating anywhere from 500 to 5,000. So it's a degree of magnitude difference on the estimate. Um, I don't. I think the, the answer to that is we don't really know. And is this enough to break the back of the of Putin and cause the Russian people to rise up if he's able to suppress these numbers enough? I mean, look, I, I get the impression that this isn't enough. Uh, a lot of you know ink and and uh, is spilled about you know the the Russian mothers and whatnot uh, rising up and and being upset over over the amount of deaths. We'll see, but I I tend to be skeptical. These are these are hopeful type reports. I remember with the Afghanistan conflict, we would see things like you know the Taliban's tired, they've lost too many men, and the, you know these reports were coming out all the way up to the time when the Taliban marched on Kabul. On the issue of the the generals being killed, general officers. It's a double-edged sword. Um, and look, if you look at the history of World War II, and this is that scale of, 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 a, of a military operation, 
you know, a lot of senior officers are killed when they go to the front line. It's the nature of the beast. We're not hearing how many Ukrainian senior senior leaders are being killed. Note that. Um, but it just means that the Russians, the generals are identifying problems and leading from the front or pushing their men. You could view that as a tactical failure or you could view that as a leadership. So we're a combination of two. Do we have a good sense as to how much or how many of the forces that were arrayed against Ukraine by uh, by Russia in the lead up to this invasion have actually been committed into the fight in Ukraine? And, and also what kind of reserves the Russians may be able to readily call upon if they decide that they're in this until the very end? The, the U.S. Department of Defense is saying that 100% of the forces that were arrayed have now been deployed. I believe they said that several days ago. That's not surprising. About an estimated 200,000 Russian troops amassed for this offensive. And if you look at the scale of that operation, it's an attack from three separate directions. Uh, you know, that's unsurprising that they would be uh, they would use that amount of force and that they would commit them within, within three weeks of the war. I would expect that. Uh, the Russians do have numerous forces that they could call upon. They also are recruiting. We've seen reports they're recruiting Syrians. They're recruiting, obviously, the Chechens are, are throwing in uh, Kadarov's people. Um, that's payback for, for the Russian, you know, defeating of the Russian uh, insurgency there in the 2000s. And so, uh, you know, how effective are they going to be? Uh, that remains to be seen. But the Russians have hundreds of thousands of troops and much, much more equipment they could draw upon if they feel the need to throw them into this offensive, which I think they will. They, they're going to begin doing. I'm seeing reports that they're being called from various regions of the country, and I would expect this. Bill, appreciate you joining us with this. Thanks so much. Thanks, Buck. Always a pleasure. Time Magazine named its Woman of the Year, and for the first time in the magazine's history, it's a man. We'll have more on that with political and social commentator Lauren Chen when we come back. First, I want to talk to you about protecting your online data. A lot of companies promise your privacy is guaranteed. We know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and is offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communications based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. Without real security, people can read your emails, messages, even your bank information. Secure will never mine your data and never ask for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, anybody without worries about being spied on by big tech. Look, Secure is only $10 for the messenger and email combination package, only $5 for the messenger alone. Go to secure.com and use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more. Hold the line. USA Today announced its list of women of the year, which they call, quote, a recognition of women across the country who've made a significant impact. Okay, got it. So who's at the top of the list? Well, that would be United States Assistant Secretary for Health, Rachel Levine, the nation's highest ranking openly transgender official. In other words, a biological man is now Time Magazine's Woman of the Year. So is this fair to all the other significant females in our country that you would think would get such a prestigious title for all the things they've accomplished? Let's ask political and social commentator Lauren Chen. Lauren, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So you are a woman. There's a list of I women am, that are getting honored. I am, in the traditional sense, too. <laughs> so 
There's a list of women getting honored here, and at the very top of the list is somebody who is a biological man, also known as a man. What's going on? So it's kind of strange right now because simultaneously we have progressives constantly complaining that there are too many old white males in position of power. And if we're just being frank, that's exactly what Levine is, an old white male. So usually this would not be someone who you'd imagine would gain the praise of progressives and be championed as some trailblazer, something modern, new and different. But then all of a sudden, because he decides to call himself a woman and grow out his hair. And by the way, I don't know if this matters to people, but he hasn't even been transitioned for that long anyway. His experience as a woman technically is very, very short, if you can even call it that. But now because of just this magic trick of self-identification, all of a sudden he's getting all of this praise. So I mean, as someone who has been a woman for all of her 27 years, it kind of feels frankly like a cop out, like this whole trans narrative is this new way for mediocre males, and I'm including people like Leah Thomas here as well, to be catapulted to the limelight for frankly doing things that, I mean, regular women and men do all the time with little to no fanfare. What do you think USA Today is after here with this? I mean, I guess in a sense, here I am talking about it, other people are talking about it. It's certainly a way to get attention, but doesn't this also, I mean, it's it's a pretty widely read national newspaper. Doesn't this hurt credibility at some level? And also, we'll ask you about how women should feel about this. But what do you think USA Today's game is here? Well, I think it, it has become a virtue signal, frankly, to lift trans women up as just regular women, but also somehow better. Like there's the, there's that double standard there. You, you can't really treat them differently, but also they are special and better than regular women. And we've seen so many mainstream media outlets jump on board these bandwagons for different people, whether that's a Caitlyn Jenner or Leah Thomas and now, of course, Rachel Levine. And it's funny because USA Today, through for all of these women, would, would talk about their accomplishments, why exactly they're on this list. And for Levine, it's mostly just trans, trans, beautiful, beautiful, empowered, empowered. If we're actually going to judge this person as a candidate based on job performance, there's really not that much to write home about, frankly. And actually, as someone who's been following Levine since the appointment, there's a, there's also the concerning fact that Levine is someone who's actually come out in favor of, it seems, you know, children as well transitioning. So not only is there really not much in the way of accomplishments, I think there's plenty there to criticize. But USA Today and so many other liberal outlets would rather just focus on the beautiful, empowering parts of it, which I think largely is why the Biden administration chose Levine. Because because it is a way to score woke PR points. By the way, uh, other honorees on the Women of the Year list included Melinda French Gates and Simone Biles, the uh, the gymnast. Um, I guess Melinda Melinda Gates for giving away a lot of uh, her husband's money uh, to charity, <laughs> I would assume, and Simone Biles obviously for being very good at gymnastics. So there are women on the list, which is which is I suppose good news. Um, but I, I just want to know, as a woman, when you see this sort of thing. Isn't it kind of offensive? Like, if, if being a woman is supposed to be something we celebrate, but one can become a woman through the relatively, as you pointed out, rapid growth of long hair. I don't even know if, if, if Rachel Levine has done anything to physically transition. Doesn't that kind of undermine being a woman? What does it even mean? 
Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, being a woman is something more than just having long hair and putting on some lipstick and deciding to change your name to Rachel. I mean, you know, I, I'm not really into gender politics. I'd rather women and men come together, but there are intrinsic differences between being a woman and being a man. And for all of the uh, Levine's time in the military, uh, I mean, frankly, he did not have to deal with, I'm guessing, some of the different issues that women in the military traditionally do. And I feel like for, you know, it, in the final quarter for him to just switch teams and say, okay, woman now, and expect to have all of, if not more of the kudos that, you know, there are, there are other women who are in similarly high positions of power, although, you know, I'm not quite sure about HHS specifically. It does feel somewhat like a cop out. And we're seeing this not just in politics, but we're also seeing this in sports, especially. And I mean, it is. It is kind of frustrating because for the longest time, the feminist movement, whether they like to play revisionist history now or not, a lot of what they have fought for has been related to the biological realities of being a woman. Things like, let's say, to do with maternal care and things like that. Also, you know, the tampon tax, that's a lefty talking point, but I'm against any tax, so I can agree with them on that one. But now they're pivoting and saying that being a woman is meaningless. And so you can't really have it both ways. You can't say you're a champion for women's rights when also simultaneously getting rid of what it means to be a woman. Speaking of pivot, you also are going out in New York today to film a video about anti-Asian hate crimes, which I remember when AAPI hate was trending and people were talking about this. And it was, of course, supposed to be a result of white supremacy. And then very rapidly after this campaign got going, it dissipated. So what are you doing today and what do you see going on here? So we're actually, we're currently not in New York. We are in Tennessee. Uh, it seems like we have fewer hate crimes here, but yeah, we are going to be talking about, you know, this story and it's one of I'm, I'm sorry to say many of this Asian woman who has, it seems been seemingly beaten senseless for no other reason than being Asian. And this is a trend that we've been seeing for years at this point now. The mainstream media has tried to attribute it to white supremacy. But when we actually look at the people who are by and large responsible for them, uh, they don't really seem like white supremacists, if, well, if I can this, say that. You know, on that the screen really quickly, Lauren, just for everyone who's watching, this is a obviously a black male who is just over a hundred times punched a 67 year old yeah. woman, stomped on her head, called her an Asian uh, and then a slur. And she suffered brain bleeding and facial fractures. And this individual, Tamel Esco, has been charged with attempted murder and assault with hate crime enhancements. But this is not a national news story, but I have a feeling that if it was a different perpetrator, it certainly would be. Absolutely, and we still see that some of the people on the left who are reporting on this, they will still use the hashtag a stop Asian hate, et cetera, et cetera. We see the majority of these cases happening in California and New York where there are larger Asian populations. But frankly, all of the solutions that they're trying for, like racial reconciliation, more critical race theory, that's not going to cut it. And the reason why I think they don't address these crimes is because A, they're uncomfortable with who the perpetrators by and large are, and B, they're not okay with the solutions that would actually help Asian people here, which is, of course, not letting criminals walk free and actually focusing on policing. Because, you know, I'm I'm Asian. The last time I was in New York, I actually had this man follow me, trying to yell out, hey, Asian lady. Thankfully, my husband was just a block ahead of me, managed to meet up, and he kind of diffused the situation. But there are actually Asians living in fear in America now. We saw there is some footage of Asians in New York City lining up to buy pepper spray because they no longer feel safe. And frankly, you know, 
even though we're talking about Asians right now, this is part of a larger crime wave that is taking over so many different American cities. And it's the same problems. It's weak Democrat rule. They, the criminals feel like they can do whatever they want with no consequences. And the media is by and large not reporting on it because they want to cover up and pretend like this problem doesn't exist and that all the problems are just Russia and Ukraine and perhaps a Trump comeback. Very illuminating. Lauren, thanks for being with us. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Today officially marks the two year of then President Donald Trump's uh, 15 days to slow the spread press conference. Remember that one? So after two years of lockdowns, mandates and other foolishness, what have we learned? We'll talk to columnist David Marcus when we come back. We're announcing new guidelines for every American to follow over the next 15 days. As we combat the virus, each and every one of us has a critical role to play. Today marks the two-year anniversary of the infamous quote her around the world, 15 days to slow the spread. Remember that one? Two years, folks, full of lockdowns, mandates for vaccines and masks. And although we may be getting closer to ending this chapter of the pandemic, our next guest says we will be forever changed. And he's certainly right about that. Here to discuss, New York Post columnist David Marcus. David, good to see you. Hey, you Buck? Let's start with this one. I, I forgot until I watched this one today and I played it on my radio show that it wasn't even 15 days to slow the spread and then we'll just batten down the hatches. I mean, the, the initial promise was like 15 days to slow the spread and then we're basically like, we're good. Like, just give us 15 days to set it up. I mean, here's two years ago today, Dr. We all remember her, Dr. Deborah Burks. Watch this one. We're asking that same sense of community to come together and stand up against this virus. And if they, everybody in America does what we ask for over the next 15 days, we will see a dramatic difference and we won't have to worry about the ventilators and we won't have to worry about the ICU beds because we won't have our elderly and our people at the greatest risk having to be hospitalized. I mean, that just wasn't even a little bit accurate, right? I mean, that was like, the, that was crazy actually. Yeah, and I mean, you know, look, there were, I think there were times when Burks went a little off the rails, but I think in general she was she was much more reasonable um, than Fauci was, and especially than, than Fauci eventually became. Um, even Fauci w was was fairly reasonable for a little while, and 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 really got vastly worse after the the, the Biden administration. Um, but yeah, look, it's it's nobody saw this coming. I, I remember interviewing people, New York politicians saying, how long do you think this is this is going to last? They thought 30 days. Um, I remember being on Tucker in, in May of 2020 and saying to Tucker Carlson, uh, when does this end? Can you imagine this going to September? And that seemed crazy to me. In May of 2020, the idea that that, that it was good, that anything was going to last until September seemed insane. And yeah, here we are two years no, you're, you're right. There's a lot of fog of war stuff. And I remember early on, too, they, would, they went to a few people who were saying, well, we should pretty much lock down until vaccination. And this is going to take 18 months to two years to get through. And everybody was like, well, that's completely insane. When really what we saw was that was what the public health establishment's plan turned out to be very, very quickly. Um, but for me... Because I, I was, all right, 15 days. I went along with the 15 days. I thought, you know, that doesn't seem that crazy to me. They, the 15 days was kind of sold on an absurd lie, which was that we'll just do this and then, like, we'll be ready to handle everything. Then it just kept getting extended and extended. It felt like from the very beginning they weren't shooting straight with the American public. 
Yeah, there's something really telling now that I think about it in that clip that you just played from Burks, because what does she say that the that we're not going to have to do? I, she says after the 15 days, we're, we're not going to have the ICU bed problem. But, but who does she talk about? She talks about the elderly, right? Because she knew that's where the focus really should have been all along. But this is way before we were talking about whether kids should go to school. Or, and she knew, everybody knew that the infection fatality rate was really low for anybody who wasn't elderly. So that was that was a kind of straight talk that you just played that really got shut up pretty quick. Yeah, it was. it's so fascinating to go back and look at some of the early discussions. And I remember when, I know Governor Cuomo said at one point, I think Nancy Pelosi also repeated this, that we were we needed to mobilize the Defense Production Act for a million ventilators, one million <laughs> ICU ventilators that would have to be staffed by ICU nurses, in addition to existing ventilator capacity across the country, to give everyone a sense of like how completely wrong and, and off the mark the experts were, who then told us to Lysol our groceries, and then for the next two years until today, we're just full of bad ideas. I mean, it was essentially one bad idea after another. It's incredible. I, every once in a while, I just tweet the words, don't touch your face. Right? Just, just so people remember that that was real, that there actually were adult people on television. I just did it, right? Saying, don't touch your face, which actually probably made people touch their faces a whole lot more because oh, yeah. the moment you say it, you, you, you want to do it. Uh, and then, of course, in order to wear a mask, what do you have to do? To, so, I mean, yeah, the, the, the whole thing... It, when you go back and look through it slowly, it's so incredibly absurd. But listen, Buck, that's not going to stop the Democrats from pretending that they have this right all along. I mean, I don't know if you saw, but there's reporting today that our old friend Andrew Cuomo's, you know, may try to run for governor again. He's already running political ads, and believe me, he's not going to uh, he's not going to run apologizing for how he handled COVID. He's going to say it was great. It's it's astonishing that this is where we are for all this. By the way. <laughs> A lot of lessons still haven't been learned by some of the people in power. Yesterday, you know, the Senate passed a resolution that would undo the extension of now the 13-month federal regulation requiring, it's got to be, isn't it longer than that? Well, anyway, requiring masks on planes, trains, subways. I just rode the Amtrak last weekend, and sure enough, one of the conductors, excuse me, sir, can you pull the mask up above your nose? And I just sort of hold up my coffee cup like, no, no, I'm allowed to spread the virus now because I have a coffee in my hand. Those are the rules that you idiots have come up with, 5740 vote on this federal mask mandate drew a veto threat from President Biden. So eight Democrats, I mean, we can't get bipartisan anything these days other than daylight savings time, apparently. We can't get bipartisan anything. Biden would veto this? I mean, these people are lunatics. Yeah, I, you know, it's, I, I, I'm sorry that happened on Amtrak. You know, I take the New York subway a lot and I, and I can happily report that the, the masks are starting to come off. Even just today, I noticed a, a, a big difference from a week or two ago. Um, technically, you're supposed to wear, but nobody's enforcing it. Uh, and ultimately, that's what th this, the, the thing on planes will come down to is I don't think the industry wants it, right? Not so much because people won't buy tickets, but like airline attendants don't want to be the mask police any more than restaurateurs want to be the vaccine police. Uh, so, you know, hopefully you'll get pressure from the industry saying, look, more people are getting hurt in fistfights up in the air having to do with masks than are getting hurt not wearing a mask on a plane. Uh, let's hope. Uh, but maybe that's too reasonable for this. Look, I get it. All, all these unruly passengers. I mean, I you know, because some of the, some of the uh, mask policing from airline attendants really is 
kind of snarky and unnecessarily aggressive and completely arbitrary. And when someone tells me to mask up, I felt this way for a long time. Um, I, I actually have to suppress feelings of I want to do violence now. <laughs> like I actually <laughs> want to throw things at people who say mask up because I'm like, you are a totalitarian moron. And because of people like you, the country has gone through this theater for two years. Yeah, I, I mean, that's exactly right. And, and you know, we have to hope that a lot of people are going to come to the conclusion that we made a lot of mistakes. I, don't, I think there's a third to a half of the country who really aren't there yet. Uh, I like this idea of a 9-11 style commission to look at, you know, the, the mistakes that we made at, uh, over COVID. You know, I, I understand it'll be mired down in politics like everything is. But I do think we need accountability. I do think we need an accounting of this. Uh, otherwise, I, I'm already seeing the, the the Democrats take victory laps and say we're the ones who beat COVID. So, you know, it's amazing. David, it's good to be in the trench with you on this one, my friend. Thanks for hanging out. Absolutely. Thanks, Buck. It looks like disgraced former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is getting ready for a political comeback. Oh, my gosh. We'll have that story in more in quick hits. Stay with us. Former disgraced governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, is considering a run against his replacement, Governor, governor Kathy Hochul. And Biden's latest gaffe is wow. Folks, it is time for quick hits. Let's get to it. Um, this is remarkable. Look, there's this whole industry, um, it's a big industry these days, of diversity and inclusion, uh, D&I consulting, uh, and diversity, equity, inclusion, it's all the same thing. And so you see that this is really going to be something that you'll be subjected to in offices across the country, all over the place. Here is the owner of a DEI consulting firm saying that telling a black person that they are articulate is in fact a microaggression. Hi colleagues, Tracy Daniels here. Have you ever said to someone, you are so articulate or Get your hair to do that curl thing. Well, if you have, you've committed a racial microaggression. And these are harmful, hurtful statements against people of color. You may not even realize how harmful these statements are, so you definitely want to check why you're making these statements in the first place. And so a lot of people are guilty of committing racial microaggressions, and it really is time for it to stop racial microaggression in calling someone articulate. Any human being is capable of being articulate. And so that would just be an observation about a person because it's a nice thing to say. It would be like telling somebody that they are savvy or that they are humorous or any number of things. And in fact, if you view other human beings as equal as we all should, regardless of race, creed, color, gender, all the rest of it, then you should just be able to observe these things and say, what is true and nice about a person and not think that it's somehow an aggression. The thing about a curl hair, I, I, that I don't, that I don't know about, um, or rather, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what she's specifically referring to with that one. I guess she's saying that sometimes people say things about uh, hair of African, uh, the hair of African-American folks that is uh, insensitive. Well, you know, don't be insensitive. That's true. Former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is considering running for governor. Former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is considering running against his replacement and fellow Democrat Governor Kathy Hochul as part of an attempt at a comeback after resigning in disgrace and multiple accusations of sexual harassment by former aides, according to people familiar with 
the matter. Um, this is amazing. I mean, Cuomo is actually considering making a, a run here um, after being kicked out for basically being awful and harassing women on his staff. I think he should be kicked out because he uh, wasn't able to be truthful with people about the horrific decision-making he made to put COVID-positive seniors into uh, nursing homes. But here is Cuomo. He has actually released a campaign ad. Watch. In politics, like in life, you stand on your record, your results. As governor, every day, I worked my hardest to deliver for you. New airports, trains, bridges, paid family leave, the strongest gun laws, and a $15 minimum wage. And we led this nation through the frightening COVID crisis. I haven't been perfect. I've made mistakes. But I also made a difference. I've never stopped fighting for New Yorkers, and I never will. He's awful, folks. I mean, I live in New York, I can tell you. He's absolutely terrible. So, yeah, there's that. And uh, he thinks he's going to make a run at it. And he might, I think right now, he's actually not that far behind in the polls. New York Democrats are crazy. I don't want to tell you. They would vote for this guy. They would actually do it. Um, so, yeah. Biden says the first lady's husband contracted COVID and then had to be reminded that he is, in fact, the husband of the first lady. Watch this one. Stage, but that's enough, too. Look at the stage. <laughs> but there's been a little change in the arrangement of who's on the stage because of the first lady's husband uh, contracting COVID. But uh, look at this room and what you see. Pardon? That's right. She's fine. It's me. That's not together. The second lady, the first gentleman. How about that? Anyway. So, yeah, Joe Biden leading us at a time of real global uncertainty, folks. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill Riley is next. Shields high. There's a battle going on right now that may be the most important fight our country's had since the Revolutionary War. Once again, it's about our freedom. People like you and me are being canceled, our speech increasingly censored by big tech and corporate media. Can't let that happen. Time to fight back. Please stand with us and support The First TV. Be a part of our team dedicated to preserving the very essence of who we are, free Americans. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans. Heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country. Heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. Major Turnbull sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber. The complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye. He needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. He moves around his home more easily now. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the Foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel the to Towers in supporting America's heroes, our nation's catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel the to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.